morning. How are you guys doing? I see uh, they stalked me with um, some tissue down here. <laughs> if you guys know me, I get a little bit worked up at times. But uh, my name is Clara. I'm one of the pastors here currently serving as a college and missions pastor. I think I met a lot of you guys, but if you're new today, welcome. Welcome to church. It's a joy and honor to be here to share the word of God with you. And today, I believe that God has a message for our church. We've been going through this series called The Wisdom of Works, uh, otherwise known as WOW. <laughs> and uh, God's been just teaching me personally so much about God's wisdom and how important it is for us to seek His wisdom, not just on Sunday, but really every single day, every moment of our lives. Because if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I'm going to fall prey to my sinful nature, begin to follow the patterns of this world, and I go astray from the path that God has set for me, for my life. And so uh, today we're actually going to be looking at the book of James, uh, not the book of Proverbs, but James in many ways is a wisdom book. And um, the topic is really how to seek God and be faithful to God and remain on his path and not stray away. And this is why this word is so good, and I believe God is trying to speak to us through his word today. So if you can rise with me for the reading of God's word, today we're going to read from James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, and verse 27. Uh, This is God's word. So let's read. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that are so true and good. Would you just prepare our hearts to receive your words, not just by hearing God, but that we would take your words and apply them into actions in ways that really expands your kingdom. I pray that if our hearts are calloused and hard today, would you soften them? And Lord, I pray that as Uh, I preach your word, your good word. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase and that you would be ultimately worshiped in this place. We thank you so much and we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so um, I have a 2013 Prius. It was my dream car when I got it and it recently shifted to a minivan because that's what happens when you become a mom of two. I'm still trying to convince my husband to get a minivan, so if there's anyone who can convince my husband, thank you so much. You know, we we need that. But, you know, let me tell you a little bit about my Prius and why that is such an awesome car. I think it's a perfect car for ministry, actually, because it has a hatchback, all the seats fold down, and I could put the Costco groceries in there, if you know what I mean. And uh, I commute quite a bit to church, and so the hybrid makes it super easy for Uh, the gas and easy on the wallet, especially these days. I know the gas prices are crazy. And so the hybrid was the perfect car for me. But when I got married, 
And this is really what marriage is about. It's about compromise. Uh, we, we went from having one to two cars, and when our family was moving to San Francisco in the end of 2018, I had to compromise. And we had to decide whose car are we going to take down to San Francisco. And being the good wife that I am, I submitted before my husband let him take his car down. And we left, we left the Prius at my parents' house and, and to sit in the driveway, and we went down. And it was in 2020 of uh, uh, April that our family actually moved back to Seattle. But at the time, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so we didn't really have a reason to be driving around at all. So the car just sat in the driveway, occasionally going out to make sure the battery is working, but it really sat there. And uh, it wasn't until 2021 of May when the church reopened, and I was actually driving around a little bit more, and I realized, hey, we need two cars now. Yay, I get to take my Prius around. And so I got the keys out, and I started or tried to start the car, and there was a problem. I think you guys know where I'm going with this. Maybe some of you guys struggled with this during the pandemic as well. The battery had died. I didn't know what to do. So what do we do? Our staff, when something goes wrong, we call Pastor Kenny, my friend. That guy, he, he can do everything, and he knows a lot about Priuses. So Pastor Kenny came over with a new battery pack, and he began to install that battery into the car, and I was like, oh, please start. And he actually got the car to start. Praise God, right? But there was a bigger problem. When I went into the car, all the lights on the dashboard came on. I mean, I've, I haven't, I've never seen so many different symbols and signs. I had no idea what that meant, but I saw the sign that every uh, hybrid battery owner fears seeing. It said, check hybrid system, stop the vehicle in a safe place. My hybrid battery had died. That was, that was what I feared the most. Because if you know anything about hybrid batteries, it was going to cost thousands of dollars just to get a new battery. And I began to wonder, do I keep this car? Do I sell it? What do I do? Right? I am no expert in car mechanics. I'm not. Obviously, I let this car die. But the truth is, if you don't drive your car, it will break down. It's simple as that. The best way to maintain your car is that you have to keep driving it and using it for its purpose, right? And, and this is similar to our faith. This is why James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. If we call ourselves Christian in this room and we say we believe in God and we know things about God, but we don't actually put God's word into practice, and doing what he says, he says, our religion is fake. It is useless. It is like my Prius that sits idle in the driveway, looking good on the outside when it's completely dead. I think this is the greatest danger of Christianity, that we can fall prey to thinking just because we come to church, just because we are in a community group or we go to prayer meetings, we do these religious activities that we think we're good before God. And God looks at us and he sees us and he says, your faith is dead. It is worthless. It's fake. Which takes me to my first point then. What is true religion? 
I'm not talking about the genes, by the way. But James talks about, some people got that joke. <laughs> James says then in verse 27, religion that is, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James lays out what it means to have genuine faith in God or religion that pleases God. He says, go and visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. This word for visit is actually very interesting because in the Greek, uh, it, it translates to episkeptomai, which means uh, to care for or look after with the intention of continuous responsibility. So this word visit doesn't mean just dropping in once, but it's to actually have a relationship, to continue to care and continue to go out with concern. And Jesus says that we need to do this for those who are poor, who are helpless, and in the margins of society. This idea of caring for the poor, those in the margins, those who are weak, is not just a concept that James is just mentioning in the New Testament, but this thought is actually consistent throughout the entirety of Scripture. From the beginning of the Old Testament, uh, in fact, if you would go with me to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 to 17, God is actually calling out the Israelites who are being religious without God. And he calls them out for their false religion. He says in verse 13, he says, "'Bring no more vain offering.'" Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourself clean, remove the evil from your deeds before my eyes cease to do evil. In verse 17, he says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. And here it is again, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the cause of widows. God says, he doesn't care about our religious ceremonies the sacrifices, the prayer meetings we have if it is not connected to the heart of God. In fact, he says, it becomes a burden to me. He rejects it. I have a toddler son. Maybe you've met him. He's a kid with a bowl cut that runs around outside. Um, and he's become very expressive in his emotions lately and his words. And the other day, I was eating ice cream because that's, that's what pregnant women do every night. Haagen-Dazs, I had a pint of ice cream, eating away. It was mint chocolate chip, and he loves chocolate. So he saw it, and he goes, I want, I want. And so I gave him a spoonful, thinking he would love it, but it was funny, because this is the first time he had mint. The minute it went in his mouth, he goes, oh, yucky! And he just, just spat it out everywhere. He didn't care. And this is kind of the image, church, that I have of God. When we do religious activities that are void of his heart, it's not just a nice try, try again, thank you, it's, you know, you're a little off, but 
But God is actually literally saying, get that out of my face. I cannot stand it. He says to us, wash yourselves, make yourself clean, stop doing what is evil, and learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Church, how we care for the poor, the weak, those on the fringes of society is directly related to our faith. This is not just for the social workers or for the select few at church who has time on Saturday to go out or do missions or are interested in mercy ministries. If you call yourself a Christian, God says this morning, I want you to be a part of my kingdom expansion. God's kingdom has always been about restoring justice, freeing people from oppression, fixing inequality, inviting those who are on the outside to come inside, those in the margins to be in the center. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. I understand that this message is not an easy message for us today, and I don't want to be a downer, but I just can't ignore the word of God that is so clear throughout all of Scripture. He says in Matthew 25, and this is a picture of God when Jesus, when he comes back on that day, it'll be a glorious day of celebration, but it'll be a day of truth, church. And he says that Jesus will come not as a servant, but on that day, he will come as a judge. And the illustration there, he says, he will be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. And this is what he says in Matthew 25, verses 34. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Visited me, that word again. Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. But verse 41 says here, Then he said to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not, there it is again, visit me. Truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Church, the Bible is so clear about what genuine faith is, that we must care for those that God loves, those who are vulnerable, those who are weak, those who are broken, who are in need of a Savior. God says, I need you to care. I need you to go visit them, not just once, but genuinely have a relationship with them. Do something which takes me then to my second point. Now that we know what God wants, why don't we do what he says? The challenge of living our faith. And I, I really think, you know, the challenge of why we don't do what God asks us to do 
is because it's uncomfortable and we don't want to be bothered. John Oliver, who hosts a show on HBO, it's quite a good show if you haven't watched, but he did a segment on Last Week Tonight on homelessness and the crisis in America. And he says, in this quote, he says, far too often, stories focusing on homelessness are presented solely through the lens of how it affects those with homes, when in reality, it, it is obvious to people without them who need real help. In other words, John Oliver makes a keen observation saying that when we talk about homelessness, it's not about the homeless and their issues and why they're homeless, but it's actually talked about in the perspective of how homelessness affects us, how it affects our neighborhoods, our environment, our comforts, and as a result, we don't actually deal with the root causes or the solutions that actually help but rather we come up with temporary fixes to push the issue away from us and pretend that the problem doesn't exist. I mean, I think we're all guilty of doing this, but how many times have you been on the road or you've walked the streets of downtown or maybe you were going to a grocery store and you've seen someone who's homeless asking for help, asking for money, and these days, we don't carry around a lot of cash. And you think to yourself, you know, I, I probably shouldn't give money. And they do say that giving money sometimes is not the best solution. So what do we do? What do I do? I look away. I kind of realign my gaze, or I kind of walk a little faster, or drive a little faster away. Why do we do that? It's because we feel bad. It's because we feel guilty, we feel uncomfortable, so we avoid eye contact to avoid the discomfort and the pain. But when we fail to engage, when we fail to look that person in the eye, do you know what it's actually doing? We're actually dehumanizing them. We're saying they don't matter, their story doesn't matter, this is not my problem. I'd rather not know. I don't have time for this. And our hearts begin to grow calloused. We stop caring. And we hope that someone else will solve the issue, but not us. You know, New Life has been partnering with UGM, Union Gospel Mission. And I'm really thankful for this organization um, because it's actually been teaching me so much that I didn't know about homelessness. And what I love about the organization is that they focus their attention not on how homelessness affects us, but on the homeless. What's actually the root cause? Why are they on the streets? And they, they actually go out, search and rescue is about going out to meet and hear their stories. And when I was talking to a staff member at UGM, I asked them, you know, what is the root cause of homelessness? What is, how can we resolve or help this issue? And they, they explained to me that there are many reasons why people become homeless. Sometimes there's a, a lack of affordable housing, loss of a job. They said people get into debt. There is mental illness, depression, 
drug use, sometimes trauma, people just running away from really bad relationships. But he said to me something interesting. He says, these are just symptoms of a bigger problem, but the root problem lies in something else. And he said the root problem of homelessness is because of broken relationships. He told me the reason why a lot of people end up on the streets is because they don't have connection to a loving community. You see, many of us in this room, when we lose our jobs, when we are poor and we cannot pay rent, or maybe if we're in a toxic relationship, we're not going to go homeless. Most of us won't, that is. And the reason is because we have friends, we have family, and we have a church to support us, help us, pray for us in those times. But, it, but the common trait of those on the streets, those who are poor and homeless, is that they have no one to turn to. They have no one to ask for help when they're in trouble. This again brings us back to the text of why God says we need to go visit the orphans and the widows. These are people who do not have anyone to look after them. They lack family. They lack protection. They lack community. And that's why God says, I am the father to the fatherless, and I am the protector of the widows. And God says, if you are my children, I need you then to share the same heart and do something. As I was wrestling with this text, and, you know, it's a difficult text. I was praying, Lord, how do I share this with the church? Uh, so last Saturday, this, the word of God really just wrecked me, and this is probably why this tissue is here. Um, last Saturday, we had a trunk or treat uh, at our church, and we had a great turnout. There were so many people that came out, and our family signed up for a booth. I was really excited to hang out with um, just my friends who were going to come to the event. But, um, you know, as, just as the event was about to begin, Pastor Kenny came out to me and told me that we had an unexpected visitor. He came and told me that um, there was a lady who was homeless looking for shelter for the night. This is waffle. This never happens. And so I went over. I talked to this lady. I learned that her name was Pam. And I found out that she was from Oregon. She had three kids. She has lost contact with all of them many years ago. But her goal was to get to Canada because she had a friend who could maybe help her. I asked her, hey, do you have the contact to your friend? She said no. I asked her, do you have a passport to get up to Canada? She said no. She had no plans, no connection. And when I was talking to Pam, I realized she needed more than just a shelter for the night but she really needed long-term help. And, you know, even though I'm the missions pastor at the time, I really didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I, I began to make some phone calls. I called my friend Lauren, who knows so much more about UGM, and she's a, on our core team, to see if she can help. Pastor Kenny was making a bunch of phone calls to shelters, and every shelter we called, they said there was no room because of the pandemic, and it was the weekend. And I recognized, man, it's really hard to find shelter for those who are in need of a shelter. 
And as I made these phone calls, I started to lose hope. I didn't know what to do. And I can look, see the face of Pam who looked discouraged. She was a modern-day widow, the one that God had been talking about, the one that God was asking for me to preach on. And I felt this burden and responsibility to help her, but I couldn't. You know, as we finally found one shelter that possibly had an opening, they said there was three spots, but, you know, she has to come and be in the list. And we provided that option to drive her, to give her transportation. And I was hoping Pam would say yes, because I wanted to get her into a home. But she kindly declined. And she said, you know what? I'd rather stay up north. I think I should be on my way. And she left. It felt awful because she came to us to seek help, asking if I can find her shelter. And I thought I found her one, but she didn't want it. I couldn't solve the problem. I couldn't help her in her broken state. I felt like a failure before God, and I felt like I failed Pam. And all the while this is going on, my husband was... (laughs) Manning a station by himself with her son running around. I don't know who gave him so much candy, but he was crazy that day. Maybe you guys judged our family. He was crazy. But you see, my life was just such a mess, and I was thinking, man, I can't do anything right. And as Pam was leaving, the only thing I could do is, I asked her, can I pray for you? Can we pray together? And I just wept with her because I felt so broken and so sad. You know, I think this tension, this feeling of discomfort is perhaps why we choose not to help. It's too hard. It's too big. I don't want to get my life messy. Trust me. I've been there. It sucks. It sucks when you have to enter into a broken place. It sucks when you cannot help someone in need. And we say we're too busy. But I believe God is trying to challenge us today. He's saying to us today, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to step out. Don't be afraid to get uncomfortable. Don't feel afraid to feel pain. It's okay to feel that burden. Because in that brokenness is where I want to meet you. You see, that day was such a difficult day because I was so broken before God. But it was also a day where God just drew me close to his presence, which takes me to point number three. Pain leads us to the cross. You see, when our lives are easy, when it's perfect, when it's clean, without any wrinkles, we don't need a savior. This is probably the biggest reason why people don't see God. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain, everyone has noticed how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well with us. 
We have all we want is a terrible saying when all does not include God. We find God an interruption. As St. Augustine says somewhere, God wants to give us something but cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. While we call our own life, while we call our own life remains agreeable, we will not surrender to surrender it to him. What then can God do in our interest but make our own life less agreeable to us and take away the possible source of false happiness? C.S. Lewis is saying, you know, basically when our lives are easy, when our lives are good, we will not, in our sinful nature, go after God. When we have all we need, when we're full, when we're content, when our family has no problems, why would we need a savior? Why would we want his kingdom when the world is perfect? But it is when we experience discomfort and pain, when we see brokenness around us, we begin to wake up and we say, oh, the world is not so perfect. It really needs a savior. We need Jesus to come and redeem us, to restore all things. You see, that day when I met Pam, I realized how broken this world is. Through Pam, God allowed me to feel pain and sadness. He reminded me that I need a savior, she need a savior to help us in that time of need. Church, when was the last time you prayed to God because you needed Jesus? When was the last time you prayed because you were so broken by the brokenness of this world and you said, Jesus, can you come and fix and heal and redeem this world? When was the last time you prayed because you saw inequality and human suffering? When Jesus asks us to visit the orphans and the widows, I'm starting to understand it's not so that we can go out and fix the problem, to heal poverty or fix Pam. That's, that's not the point of this text because we can't. We can't. The problem is so much bigger than us. But maybe Jesus is just asking us to empathize, to feel his pain, and to remind us why it is he had to come. You see, the cross is a reminder of a savior who didn't turn a blind eye towards pain and suffering. The cross is a reminder of the son of God who was rich, but he chose to become poor. To heal the broken, he became humble like a servant and he died a sinner's death so that we will be reconciled and redeemed. We who are fatherless and orphaned will become children of God through the work of the cross. You see, poverty, brokenness, draws us to the cross and reminds us why Jesus has come. He has conquered death. He has conquered evil. 
And he says, there will be a day when I will restore all things and it will be as good as the way God had created it. If you're not a Christian in this room, if you're not a Christian and you're watching this today, I want to invite you into this relationship with Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And he's calling you to come and be a child of God. All you have to say is yes, accept his love. But for the Christians in this room, I believe Jesus just wants to wake us up this morning. Realign our hearts to his. Maybe some of us in this room have become so comfortable, too settled in our ways. Maybe some of us have gone into this routine of just doing religious activities, coming to church, but really missing the point of why. Maybe some of us are just spiritually so dry or maybe even dead. Just like my Prius that's sitting on the pavement, looking good on the outside, but completely removed from its purpose. And I believe God just wants to jumpstart our hearts today to align it to his. He's saying, come, seek after me. Seek after my will. Ask me for wisdom and I will give it to you. So that we will be on the path that leads to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God and that you give us your word. Sometimes it's hard and your word is a word of discipline, but God, we thank you that even discipline is because you love and care and you want to set us on the right path. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this church, myself included, God, that Lord, if our hearts are not aligned to yours, it is useless. So today, Holy Spirit, would you just come and remind us where we need to be how we need to seek your will, how we need to chase after you. God, lead us to obedience. Lead us to faith that is true, that is good, that is pleasing to you. I pray for those who are still struggling or who have not yet said yes to you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that they would stop running, but they would come to your presence and know you, Jesus, as the Savior King. And God, be brought in as children of God. We thank you, Lord. And we give you worship. We give you all the honor and praise. It is in your name we pray. Amen.